Hello, Fast to Heal Stories listeners. We are here for another fabulous episode, and I am so excited that Jess is here with us today. So welcome to the podcast, Jess. Thank you so much, Shana. Happy to be here. Awesome. Well, like we start with most of my guests, I would love to hear more of your backstory and how you got into the space that you are. Um, I know you that that you follow keto diet, and we've had a couple of other guests on here who have had very much success with that as well. Um, and usually, there's a lot of struggle prior to finding that lifestyle. So please fill us in on how you got to where you're at today, and. Um, yeah, and then we'll we'll get more into keto and and how you approach that and how you work with clients and all of that. Okay, sounds great. Well, my name is Jess Reed, and I have been eating keto since November of 2013. So going on nine years uh, this November, which is so crazy. Um, no, eight years this November, right? Yes, that's math. <laughs> eight years this November. So don't me. It'll take me a while to figure it out. <laughs> Yeah, so eight years of eating keto, and I've been um, a coach for women now for the last four years. So a little bit about my backstory about how I found low carb was um, basically I have struggled with my weight my entire life. I was overweight as a child. Um, To make matters a little bit worse, I am a twin and not even an identical twin. I'm a fraternal twin. And so growing up in the 1980s, um, you know, people just feel free to totally comment on how you look and compare you to other people. Literally, I'm a child in front of my mother, in front of everyone. Oh, she's the short, fat one. And she's the tall, skinny (laughs) one. And this was my childhood growing up. And I, I felt like there was really like something fundamentally wrong with me. Um, because that was how people typed me, like that's just instantly how I saw myself. And um, it was a real struggle for me. Um, Probably after puberty, I did hit a normal weight. And I actually stayed at a normal weight for the majority of my adult life up until my my mid 20s. Um, But I always saw myself as overweight. I always saw myself as the fat one. And I was always restricting doing something unhealthy, Um, you know, like I was the kid that was watching the full house episode about bulimia and how you shouldn't be bulimic and thinking, oh, I should try that. Like, right. (laughs) Really, really messed up. Um, and so, but I was in, I was in a normal BMI for my height for, for most of my life. Um, it was just the way that I saw myself and I was always doing something. I was always restricting. I was always counting calories. I, in college, I, um, did like laxatives and water pills and just everything. Um, so in my mid twenties, I went through a period in my life where I had a, a traumatic experience and I, I did gain about 40 pounds in the course of a year. So I found myself truly overweight. Um, and that was really difficult for me. I went through a period of depression and I was really hiding out from my life. Um, I was turning down social invitations. I was crying when it was time to get dressed. I would walk by the mirror and feel like, who the heck is that? Like, I felt like an alien in my own body. And it was, it was just a real struggle with my self-worth and everything. So at a point of desperation, I approached Atkins. I wanted to lose 10 pounds as quickly as possible, hopefully in a matter of two weeks, because that's what I always saw my mom do when I was a teenager. She would do Atkins and she would drop five pounds in a week or 10 pounds in two weeks. And then she would just go back to her normal way of eating. And so um, she never took it on as a lifestyle. Um, And so that's what I thought it was for. Just like a quick thing that was kind of unhealthy to do, actually. I thought it was an unhealthy way to eat, but I didn't care. 
Um, and so I started Atkins on November 4th of 2013, three weeks before Thanksgiving. You can tell I was not thinking this was going to be long term. Um, <laughs> but I did lose those 10 pounds within the first two weeks, which a lot of people, if you're familiar with a low carb diet, it's mainly water weight, but it feels so good to see that number going down on the scale. Um, so I expected to lose weight, but what I did not expect was how incredible I felt. Um, I did go through the keto flu, knew nothing about it. There was no information back then at the time. I didn't know what was happening. I remember thinking to myself, God, if I wake up tomorrow and I don't feel better, I'm giving up. And that was like day five. And I woke up feeling amazing. Um, so it was kind of kismet, I suppose. But yeah, I, I quickly thought to myself, oh my God, I'm going to eat this way forever. Like, why has no one ever told me about this? And I didn't tell anyone because everybody thought I was crazy because everybody thought, oh, she's just doing the next thing. Like she's always doing something faddish or whatever. And that was true. Um, so I kind of kept it to myself for a little while, but on Thanksgiving, I still stayed low carb and everybody was like, you're getting a little out of hand here, you know? And I was just like, I, you know, I feel incredible. I'm just going to keep going and see, see what happens. Um, and so that was it. Like I, I literally just know looking back, I stuck with it forever. And I think a lot of that has to do with my personality type and things like that. That doesn't necessarily always work for everybody. And not everybody might feel their best eating keto forever. But for me, it's a form of self-care. And I call myself a self-care keto coach because to me, it really is about taking care of your most basic need, which is your nutrition. Um, so for me, I was finally taking really good care of myself through the way that I ate. I did not know previously the way that I was eating, that I wasn't getting enough nutrition whatsoever. I knew nothing about nutrition. Um, and I didn't go into eating keto or low carb to get good nutrition. I went into it through weight loss, but because I started to feel so incredibly different, I started researching it and learning about what was really happening that was making me feel so good. For the first time, I had what I would call food freedom and like food peace, as you like to say, in my thoughts, it was no longer dominating my thoughts because I finally felt full and satiated after dinner for the first time. I wasn't snacking at night. I wasn't obsessing over my next meal. I wasn't thinking about calories. Like it just freed up my mind. And that seriously was the thing that kept me going because for my whole life leading up to that, it, it was an obsession and I was not going to let go of that freedom. So um, that's a little bit about my story of how I came to it and why I stuck with it. Probably about um, within six months, I lost 50 pounds. So I lost the 40 that I had gained and I was down 10 lower than that, which felt incredible. Um, within about a year after it, I started to have a dream in my heart of really wanting to coach other women in this because I thought to myself, why is nobody talking about this? Like, why do people not know that this exists and how you can do that? Like, don't just do it for two weeks, but like stick with it and, and see how it transforms your life. Um, but also eating this way, like I said, it freed up my thoughts and it started to give me the mental capacity to deal with my disordered relationship with food and weight and body image that I had struggled with my whole life. So I started getting into a lot of personal development work and mindset work. And that's what really helped me to heal and to um, address my emotional eating um, and really get to the root of all of that. So I had a dream that I wanted to kind of combine like a nutritionist and a therapist, you know, and like turn it into like a coaching program and really help other women because I knew I wasn't the only one. I, everybody I talked to felt the same way. Um, so I sat on that for a really long time before I had the confidence to actually start my coaching practice about four years ago. I started it part time while I still was working my normal full time job. And then February of 2020, I launched my full time coaching practice. So I work exclusively with women. And I call myself a self care keto coach that I help women lose weight with a keto diet and a self care mindset. 
I love your story. That's so Mm -hmm. amazing. And it's interesting. One of the last things that you said is so many people struggle and have the same thoughts as you. And when you don't have that food freedom or food peace or nutritional peace, whatever you want to call it, you just think like it's you. You think there's something wrong with you. Like, why can't I manage my weight easier? Mm -hmm. Why do I have to run so many miles every week to feel good? Like, why am I always thinking about food? Does everybody else like this or is no one else like this? Like, what is wrong with me? And I feel like women especially, and but men too. I mean, they, they definitely struggle with these same um, notions that, that they're thinking and, and the, the whole mental aspect of it as well. But I think a lot of people look at others and they think, there's no way that she struggles with this or, you know, she's only 130 pounds, you know, or whatever it is. Like, she's really fit. She must not struggle with these problems, but it's like the vast majority of women and a lot of men too. It's like, they're thinking about this every day. What am I going to eat? What meal do I need to plan? What am I going to do to counteract if I go off the rails or I binge? Like, Mm -hmm. how can I over-exercise to get rid of that? And it's just all consuming. So I just, I just want to validate that point and say, yeah, it's like, I was like that. You were like that. So many women and they, they harbor it inside thinking there's something wrong with me where it's like, no, it's our food culture and the foods that we're eating and it's our blood sugars and it's all these ups and downs. And, and so much comes back to the food that we eat and it's like you said, it's like, oh my gosh, I did. I went on this Atkins diet for two weeks thinking I'm just, I need to, I need to flush some extra water away and then I'm going to, you know, I'll probably fail and go back. But it's like, here you are eight years later. It's, it's simply amazing. Um, can you talk a little bit about, so I know Atkins is still out there. Um, but since Dr. Atkins passed away, it doesn't seem like it's quite as at the forefront as it used to be. And now we have keto and we have carnivore and it's kind of some, I don't, I don't want to say more popular or, you know, some, some other approaches that have come into view more recently. Can you talk about how Atkins might've been different when you first started versus keto now? Like what has your approach changed or or has it basically been the same for those eight years? That's a great question. Um, So just in case anybody's not familiar with what's the difference between Atkins and keto. um, So Atkins is a low carb diet that has four phases to it. And so the initial phase is called induction, and that's the most uh, restrictive phase. So basically, the goal would actually be ketosis in the first phase of Atkins. So he recommends to stay under 20 net carbs per day. Um, Now, at the time that he was writing, um, it wasn't a big deal to differentiate between net carbs and total carbs. So total carbs is, if you look at a nutrition label, at least here in the United States, not overseas, um, but here in the U.S., it'll say total carbohydrates. And then underneath that, as a subcategory of carbohydrates, it'll say fiber. And so he would say fiber doesn't spike your blood sugar, so you don't actually need to count fiber as part of your carbohydrates. And that's true if it's coming from a whole food source. Nowadays, um, we have so many keto products on the market that have what are called sugar alcohols in them, which is a zero calorie sweetener um, that supposedly doesn't spike your blood sugar. It's kind of iffy for different people. And what they also do is they load it up with all these fake fibers that are man-made chemical laden things. And so this type of fiber 
um, they're, they're putting it in the food so that they can market it as, you know, three net carbs, but really it's got 30 total carbs in it. So I do recommend now to count total carbs, but that's simply because of the keto products that are on the market. Um, but when I started, of course, I was just going with Dr. Atkins. This was written in 2001. Um, Dr. Atkins' New Diet Revolution is the book that I read and started to follow. Um, and I still totally subscribe to that. I actually think it's a really healthy thing. Um, but now Atkins looks completely different. Atkins Nutritionals is being run by other people. And it's basically like, products. You know, they just want to sell you products the same way. Like there's Atkins frozen meals, there's Atkins shakes, Atkins candies, all of this. Um, probably there was shakes and candy when I started in 2013. I don't think they had any of the frozen meals yet, but I did. I, when I wanted a keto treat, like there wasn't all these products on the market and I would go to the store and I would get the Atkins M&Ms just so that I didn't eat regular M&Ms. And that was what I would call my keto crutch at the time. Like, and I'm okay with that. I still think that that's okay as a transition period to help you get through. Um, the difference between Atkins and keto then is it's the same in terms of the first phase, but then he believes in like staggering your carbs up as you get closer and closer to your goal weight. So he would allow certain foods to come back in like nuts and seeds and chocolate and berries um, would be like phase two. And then in phase three, bringing back some like starchier vegetables like carrots or sweet potatoes, things like that. And then in phase four, that would actually be maintenance. So you're maintaining your weight now. And he would recommend even not recommend, but allow for like a fourth of cup of wild rice or quinoa or something like that. Um, and maybe some higher glycemic fruits like apples and, and things like that. Um, so it's, it's more just a staggered low carb approach, but a ketogenic diet is, um, being more intentional with counting your carbohydrates. And most people need to stay under 50 total carbs to get into a state of ketosis. But as you stay on keto longer and longer, the goal would be that it actually heals your body and allows you to become metabolically flexible. So this means that you're able to burn fuel from either sugar and starches or carbohydrates as your primary fuel source, or you're also able to burn fat as your primary fuel source. So when you, when you make that switch and you deprive the body, the body of carbohydrates, your body switches to its backup fuel source. And instead of running off of sugar and starches, now you're running off of fat. And the beauty of this is that this also allows you to easily tap into your stored body fat for fuel. It's kind of like when a bear, you know, eats a bunch over the summer, gets nice and fat and then hibernates all winter long. Um, he's living off of his stored body fat, he's in a state of ketosis. So the reason why it's called ketosis is because when your liver breaks down fat, it, the byproduct is called ketones, and that's a fuel source for your body. So that was just a little bit of a primer <laughs> in what ketosis is. Um, to answer your question about how my diet has changed in the last eight years, um, I actually stayed pretty um, true blue um, to like a classic ketogenic diet for several years. Um, I, I never limited my protein that, that was kind of something that became popular to do. Um, when I was eating, um, keto, maybe like around 2014, I noticed that a, ketogenic diets were becoming more popular. And one of the things that they were pushing was moderate your protein because, um, it's called gluconeogenesis. The body can convert protein into glucose. And so it's a little bit debatable. Like, is this done on demand? as your body needs it, or is this just done automatically? And so I think it has become kind of a boogeyman, 
But I'm glad that I started with Atkins because he never limited protein. He said, you know, eat to satiety in terms of protein. It was unlimited as long as it was meat. He he didn't um, he didn't say eat unlimited amounts of dairy, but just strictly animal protein, fish, poultry, beef, pork, all of that. What you could have unlimited. That was one of the things that I appreciated the most about that. And so that's always been my approach, and and always has stayed my approach. And I've I've maintained that with my clients as well. Um, so I've always eaten a little bit higher protein keto to answer your question. Um, I would bring back in certain foods at different times. Like once I had reached my goal weight. Um, yeah, if I'm, if I want to, I'll have some watermelon or some pineapple or something like that, that I really want to enjoy, but it's usually whole foods based. Um, I stayed keto during my entire pregnancy and postpartum, but when I say stayed keto, I ate more foods that were probably higher in carbohydrates, but my body stayed in a state of ketosis, which you can test and see through your blood, breath, or urine, which is kind of interesting. Um, and then when I was postpartum and I wanted to drop a little bit more weight, um, after I weaned my daughter, I went carnivore for a little while, which did help me to lose that last 10 pounds. I did that for probably about a month and a half. That was pretty strict. And then I started bringing back um, some more um fruits and vegetables and stuff. And now I would say I'm kind of, um, I would say I'm moderate carbohydrate. Honestly, I probably consume about um, 50 to 75 carbs um, a day, total carbs. Um, and then once in a while, I will do a carb up depending upon where I am in my menstrual cycle, I might go up to like 100 carbs or something like that on certain days of the month. I was awesome. so afraid to do that in the past, but the more that I learned, the more I've, I've tinkered with stuff and tried new approaches. Right. And as you stay on either keto or Atkins or whatever you want that you're following or even carnivore, your body heals mm -hmm. and, and you just get so much more efficient at burning fuel and you can start to carb up a little bit. <clears throat> I never really recommend people go over like a hundred or yeah. 125 unless they're like so, so active. But even then it's like, no, we can fuel with fat and carbohydrates. And, but I think people need to remember, and you're such a good point to, to, um, <clears throat> look at with your experience is that our bodies change over time. And as mm -hmm. they heal and become more efficient, you know, sometimes I, I don't put a lot of people on the, the 25 grams or less right off the bat. A lot of times what I do is I, let's go under 100 first mm -hmm. <laughs> and then let's, let's, go to 50. Let's see how you feel there. If you feel like, oh, uh, you know, my, my body needs more healing or, you know, we can go down to 25 or did you feel better between 50 and hundred? It kind of just depends on the person, but you don't need to stay at 25 grams or less carbohydrate for your entire life. As you become more metabolically efficient and your body learns to burn, learns to burn both sugar and fat. And, you know, then you can start to carb up. But I will say it's not like you go low carb for two weeks and everything's fixed. Like it takes months, sometimes years like you did. And then some experimentation after that to make sure like, okay, I, I don't want to, you know, give my body more than, than what it can handle. Um, so that is such a great point that you make. And I agree. Like I tell people, prioritize your protein. Protein is so satiating that it's hard to overdo. Your body's not going to let you eat six hamburgers in one right. sitting. Like this will get too full. Um, Whereas you could go and eat 12 donuts and that'd be okay. And you wouldn't feel very good, but your body would probably let you do it because the satiety mechanisms aren't there to say, Hey, 
done, had enough here. Whereas with protein, those mechanisms are in place. So yeah, I always say prioritize your protein. You know, don't worry about overdoing it because your body usually doesn't let you. Um, Mm -hmm. And even in carnivore diets, it's like, well, if we actually broke down what or, you know, how much protein that you're taking in, you'd probably be surprised. And I usually use carnivore diets with my clients for healing diets, especially if they have really long term issues and multiple issues and autoimmune issues that have been going on for a really long time, just kind of as, as that last ditch, let's take everything inflammatory out, do carnivore. Sometimes people feel so amazing that they don't want to come off it. And sometimes it's like, okay, it's time to introduce some carbohydrates. So, um, yeah, we just need to be open-minded about these things and say, okay, what, what, carb level works for Jess may not work for Shanna. And, but I do agree. It's like getting the processed carbs out, going under 100 for sure to start with, and then just kind of tweaking from there. Um, but yeah, and then just going back to Dr. Atkins. So I came out of my internship in 2000. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you can imagine what I'm thinking about Dr. Atkins yeah. um, being traditionally trained in the dietetics field. Um, but yeah, and then his book came out in 2001 and I was so close minded. I think mm-hmm. I did pick it up and I'd have some clients come through the nutrition clinics like, Hey, I'm doing really well in Atkins. I'd be like, well, long-term though, right. you're going to get heart disease or, you know, like this is not going to be healthy for you. And I think I did flip through it, but I didn't even at that point try to really understand the mechanisms and the science behind it. And unfortunately, it took well into my career before I was a lot more open-minded and say, hey, like our traditional system is failing us. The recommendations are failing us. We need to look at other options. And why should we condemn people who do well doing whatever they're doing. It's like, if you're healthier and you're 50 pounds lighter and you've kept it off for eight years, why should I care? You know, it's like, why would I want you to go back to how you were feeling before and obsessed with food and mentally, you know, not help, not having a healthy relationship with food. That's just Mm -hmm. doesn't make any sense whatsoever. So tell us more about your practice. Like say I was a new client coming in. I said, Hey, Joss, like I, I need some help. Like, where would you start? So the first thing I do is I offer a free curiosity call for anybody that's interested in learning more about coaching. It's about a 30 minute call and we could do it over Zoom or over the phone, whatever my, um, you know, potential client feels most comfortable with. But I like to hear your story. I like to hear your background. I like, you know, to understand your health diagnoses or allergies or concerns, what medications you're on. So like, basically all that information, but also I want to hear about like your mindset story surrounding food. Like what type of messages did you receive growing up? Um, What type of beliefs have you held that you feel like are holding you back? Um, And, you know, I just like to take the time to get to know you. And also I really like to give people free advice um, because I, I make sure to say advice is always free. Coaching isn't free. People think that coaching is advice. It's not. (laughs) coaching is actually helping you unlock what's already inside of you because you already know what you need to do. It's just that you lack the motivation to do it. And so it's really about helping you tap into what inspires you the most, what motivates you the most. Some people really thrive off of external accountability, nothing to be ashamed of. Honestly, sometimes that's the only missing piece. And that's why coaching can be so effective for some people, but also it's beliefs that are holding us back. Um, 
the right strategies are everywhere for free on the internet. So that's why I say I like to give advice for free because if you spent enough time on YouTube, you would find the answer that I'm about to give you. Um, let me just save you the time, you know? So what I've learned in the last eight years. So I like to bless people with free advice, even just on that initial call, whether they want to move forward with coaching or not. But I let them know about my coaching options. Um, so I have groups that start a couple of times a year. I am always taking new one-on-one -on -one clients. Um, and just give them a rundown of what's available. I also have some digital resources that I let people know about um, and I create custom meal plans. So no matter what point of entry people feel most comfortable with, I just try to let them know what options are available. Never any pressure from me. Um, but of course, my favorite is one-on-one -on -one client work, actually. I love um, <laughs> when people choose that option. If the initial commitment is five weeks long um, and then there are extension options from there. Okay, perfect. And what would you say? I like to to ask other practitioners this um, because it's 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 so individual. But what would define success for you when you're working with clients? Um, what would define success for you personally? And then how would you s define success with the clients that you work with? I know that's um, kind of a, a a layered, tough question, <laughs> but it's always an well, interesting one to ask. Yeah. Well, for me, success as a coach is about effective listening and using my intuition effectively to be able to notice the point at the conversation that really needs to be pressed deeper into, because it, it's like the point of transformation. Everybody's just one conversation away from transformation. Like, think about the, the big moments in your life that you've decided to finally go after the thing or finally make that change. Can you can you dial it back to a specific conversation that you had with somebody maybe who just said, like, I believe in you, you can totally do this or whatever it might have been. Um, for me, it's when I see the light come on for somebody that that's how I know I'm being successful. And what that really takes is the ability to listen and, and really tune in to another person um, and just kind of trust the energy between us. Um, some people believe um, you know, in God or energy or the universe. I believe in God. And I believe that God leads the conversation exactly where it needs to go. That's how I judge my um, success as a coach is in my ability to do that and start to see the light come on for somebody. Um, success for a client is, are they achieving the goals that they had for themselves? So I don't have a goal for my clients. I ask them what their goals are. Um, and if they just are strictly focused on a number on the scale, I try to help them expand beyond that because we always think we want a certain outcome, but we don't want the outcome. We want the feeling that that, that we think that outcome is going to give to us. So that's also what I try to help people tune into. Um, of course I want you to lose weight. I'm, I never shy away from the fact that I help people lose weight. Um, and it's important and necessary to be able to do that. We shouldn't shame people for being overweight and not giving a crap and feeling fine with it. We shouldn't shame people who want to lose weight um, because it's not about, um, you know, hot girl summer or bikini body or whatever, <laughs> but it is about having the confidence and the energy to show up for your life and not hide out and actually be able to live into the purpose and the dreams that you feel like you have for yourself inside. And so many of us don't have the energy, like literally we feel physically incapable of stepping up and doing the big dreams that we have for ourselves. And we also don't have the confidence. Um, so when I see confidence come back for a client and energy come back for a client, that's so much more important to me than seeing the number go down on the scale. But of course, they go hand in hand. 
Right. And I always tell people we're getting healthy so that you can lose weight. The weight is a symptom of whatever's going on underneath, usually Mm -hmm. hormonal issues, insulin resistance, unbalanced hormones, whatever it is. We are working on getting you healthy, stabilizing your blood sugar, um, focusing on foods that bring you satiety instead of cravings. And then that weight comes, like it's just a symptom. Um, So you call yourself the self-care keto coach. I love that. So explain to us more about how self-care really needs to start with nutrition and how you view nutrition as self-care. Yeah. So I liken it for like any moms out there or parents, I should say, when you first have that baby given to you or child, if you're whatever age they are, but now you are responsible for this other life. And it's so overwhelming, the weight of that responsibility. But think about where you had to start. All you had to do was feed them, make sure they got proper sleep, make sure they got you know comfortable temperature, clothe them, put a roof over their head, meet their basic physiological needs. And that's where it starts with babies, right? And of course, we're going to hug them and snuggle them. So then we start um, kind of moving up the ladder of how we develop in our needs. And um, there's this um, visual that you can look up, go Google it. It's called Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. Abraham Maslow was a humanistic psychologist, and he theorized that basically we move through different stages of development in our needs. And so at the base level is our physiological needs. And then from there, we have safety needs. So we need to make sure that we feel safe and secure. We have employment. We have a means to take care of ourselves and and meet our basic needs in the world. We have social needs. We need to have a sense of love and belonging and relationships. We have self-esteem needs. We need to feel like I'm confident. I know what I'm doing. I have self-efficacy. And we have, um, you know, what he would call transcendental needs. So like the ability to connect spiritually, to um, play, to feel a sense of purpose and meaning that you're achieving in your life. So these are our needs as humans. So many of us are focusing on our higher level needs and neglecting our most basic needs of like sleep and nutrition is everything. And if you don't meet those, it's impairing your ability to show up um, in those higher level needs. You're you're always going to feel unfulfilled or unsatisfied unless we get those things straight first. So that's why I say nutrition really is the most fundamental form of self-care because self-care is not just bubble baths and pedicures. Self-care is literally taking care of yourself, quite literally meeting your own needs. And that's your job. Nobody else is going to do that for you. Nobody else is going to, you know, say here, here's, here's all the meals that I made for you. It's got the perfect macros (laughs) or whatever, you know, it's time for me to put you to sleep now. Like nobody's going to do that for you as an adult. It's your job to parent yourself and take care of yourself um, through, through that. Yeah, such an interesting point and one to look at as being so important and fundamental, like you said. And I think, you know, just about every occupation or or every field has their their issues with health. But you look at the medical field, you look at the education field where people are highly stressed and highly burned out. And they're trying to give advice about being healthier, but they're not meeting those basic needs. And so, you know, they're not sleeping, they're not eating well, they're eating packaged foods because 
that's what's easy and convenient. Mm-hmm. And they're struggling with their own weight. They're struggling with, you know, they're, they're not taking time for themselves. They're not taking care of themselves. Um, and, and they're trying to take care of all these other people <laughs> before themselves. And sometimes that's no fault of their own. Sometimes they just have to say, Hey, you know what? I can't do this anymore. I, I, I do. I have to make I have to meet these basic needs. I may need help from another person or another program. I might may need some accountability. I might need some education. Whatever it is, yeah, you got to figure that out and get started somewhere. And um, I know, yeah, same thing with my programs. Like I have all the education, all in the modules and the lessons, but I could unlock that to everybody and say, hey, listen to all of these lessons. But if there's no accountability, no support system, no um, checking in with somebody to see if you're af- actually adapting it and 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 doing those bottom level things before the top level things, you probably are not going to be successful. Um, so yeah, you can spew all the words you want <laughs> at, at any individual, um, but unless they take the accountability and want to get better and want to feel their best, it's you can talk to your blue in the face. And, you know, and I have family members who are very, very unhealthy and it, it just, it kills me. Cause it's like, oh my gosh, you have me here. Like you have me, I can, I can teach you. Um, but until you wrap your head around that and that self-care and it's like, oh no, I need to do this for myself. It's usually not going to happen, unfortunately. So I love all of those points that you make. Now, when a client works for, with you, I would imagine they're interested in following the keto diet because mm-hmm. you're self-care coach, (laughs) but you put everybody on that program and and kind of start them out on, on the same nutrition path or, um, how does that work? You know, do you have clients that don't follow keto as well? Or, or is it mainly, okay, if you, if we work with you, that's kind of the approach that you take. Well, I definitely do, um, subscribe to keto as being the goal, at least temporarily. Because most people never get into a state of ketosis in their lives unless they have to do some type of like medical fast, right? But it's completely normal and natural and our bodies are designed to be able to function in that state. And so it can be really healing and quite a magical experience if you've never experienced it before. And I think a lot of times people are hesitant to change their nutrition because they don't think that there's any problem with it. The reason for that is because you've never felt differently than what you feel right now. You've grown up your whole life eating the way that you've eaten. And imagine it's like um, when you're used to getting the sleep that you get every night and then you're a new parent and your sleep is completely interrupted. You're up every couple of hours in the night with your child. Um, You are just a shell of yourself when you are sleep deprived. Um, you know, maybe it doesn't even have to do with parenthood, but just think of like a rough night of sleep and how you feel impaired the next day. You can literally feel it and you feel like a zombie walking through the world. You're still functioning, um, but you're, you're not your full vibrant self. I would say that it's like that with your nutrition, except that you don't know what your full vibrant self feels like. But believe me when I say you're a shell of who you could be if you got your nutrition straight. You don't know how good you can feel until you know how good you can feel. And so I really firmly do believe in trying to get all of my clients into a state of ketosis if they're open to it. I don't, I'm not pushy. Some people would rather just do a low carb diet because they think, oh, I can't handle that. And eventually they build up the confidence to titrate down into it, kind of like what you do. 
I find that the majority of my clients, though, they're ready. They want to try keto. They're, you know, I don't have to overcome a lot of objections with them. I'm like, you know, just do it for a couple of weeks. See how amazing you can feel and just give your body a chance to experience it for the first time. And once you experience that, it's like, I don't have to sell you on keeping going or not. Like, you just know it's worth it to you. Um, you can use it as a tool however you want to use it. Some people might want to stay in continuous ketosis for months until they reach their goal weight and never deviate from that. Some people might want to have um, some planned deviations here and there, you know, for social reasons or for athletic reasons or whatever kind of reasons, menstrual cycle reasons, there could be a lot of reasons why you want to cycle in and out of ketosis. And I'm here to support that as well. Um, but definitely for at least, you know, two to four weeks, I would love to see my clients be able to experience that without interruption, just because, um, you know, again, you don't know how good you can feel until you know how good you can feel. I totally agree. And I've said that multiple times on this podcast, like some people have been eating junk and eating every couple of hours and eating the standard American diet for so long or their entire life since, you know, they were brought up as children that they have no idea how well they can feel when they adapt a healthier approach and they limit carbohydrates and they focus on nourishing foods that bring satiety and they, do, they get rid of the cravings and they're like, wow, like I'm like so clear minded and I have so much energy and I just feel so good and I'm not thinking about food all the time. It's amazing. And you don't know until you try it mm -hmm. and you get yourself like, like you mentioned into that state of ketosis. So I, I love that approach. I do have to ask you because this is a podcast and my book kind of revolves around intermittent fasting as a really strong tool to reverse insulin resistance. And a lot of people come to it for weight loss, but really it's, it's, fixing a lot of hormonal issues. It's reversing insulin resistance. Um, and then that weight can help. So, um, do you apply fasting into your life at all or the, the, um, you know, in with your clients that you work with? Yeah, I do. Um, I've tried it for myself and I support my clients in fasting protocols as well. Um, so for myself, I practice intermittent fasting. Most days I eat within a eight hour window or sometimes even a six hour window. It kind of varies. Um, but yeah, and, and I've also really moved up my eating to an earlier window in the day. I used to fast until maybe like one or two o'clock. And at, a, at the time that was easier for me to do. Um, but now I actually eat between like 10 a.m. and 5 p.m. or 6 p.m. And actually, I found that to be even more effective and to really help my my sleep as well. Um, so with all of my clients um, who first start out with keto, they usually ask me about fasting at the same time because it's becoming like a buzz, a buzz term, intermittent fasting, right? And so they're like, should I start intermittent fasting right away? And I always tell them like, you could and have it be hard, or you could wait a little while and have it be so much easier because once your body gets into a state of ketosis, your appetite is going to naturally suppress your hunger hormones are going to completely shift. Um, and so just let yourself go through that transition for a little while. And then you're going to find that it's going to be super easy to just not eat when you're not hungry. You don't have to download the app and watch the clock. You could if you really want to, if that motivates you. Some people that would be like massively triggering, <laughs> you know, yeah. to feel like they have to subscribe to this. And some people they're like, oh, this is a fun challenge. I try to take into account my clients' um, personality types and also their history, possibly with disordered eating. I have a history with disordered eating. 
And I have found that doing anything longer than a 24 hour fast really triggers a lot of disordered eating thoughts for me. Um, but I definitely have done it just to experiment with it. I think the longest I've ever done is like a five day, um, fast. Um, and for me, um, I feel like because I eat keto most of the time, I'm already experiencing a lot of autophagy and I eat a very clean diet. There's not probably as much crap that needs to be cleaned out for me. Um, so I don't push myself to do anything longer than a 24 hour fast, even for the autophagy benefits, simply because for me, I had to weigh the pros and cons. Um, of kind of getting um, triggered with the disordered eating thoughts. So for me, I practice intermittent fasting daily. Um, I do switch it up. You know, I'm, I'm not afraid to switch it up. Like it's never like, oh, I must wait till 10 a.m. to eat. Like sometimes if I'm hungry at 9 a.m. because I'm getting closer to my period, I listen to my body and I eat at 9 a.m. And a lot of times I'm actually still able to go to my normal dinner, normal dinner time, even though I ate an hour earlier. Um, I just listen to my body. Then with my clients, I do like to ease them in with intermittent fasting um, and then work them up to a 24-hour fast if they'd like to try that. And then I'll work them up to a 36-hour fast or a 48-hour fast if they'd like to do that. I might do a 36-hour or a 48-hour once or twice a week max. Um, so yeah, I do work with my clients on fasting and that's kind of like my personal philosophy about fasting. Sure. And your approach seems very, very similar to mine. And keto and fasting can just go so well hand in hand. Because like you said, it suppresses your appetite. You don't want to eat as often if you're eating, eating nourishing foods that are higher in protein and fat. So the fasting just is the next thing. Mm -hmm. And um, my approach is the same with the, the PEACE acronym, the five steps. We start with prepare and mm -hmm. that's two to four weeks depending on the person. And mm -hmm. you don't even really have to start fasting in, unless it seems natural for you. Like, okay, like you said, it's like, I'm not hungry now that I've eaten a well-balanced meal. Um, you know, I'm not hungry until later in the morning. So mm -hmm. yeah, it just, it goes back to what we do naturally <laughs> as yeah. humans. And we just got so far away and so many people are still so far away from what we are meant to eat and do. And, um, you know, as, as humans, we're just way far away from it. So I have one more question for you, and then I want you to tell us where we can find you and work with you. Um, I am curious. So I've worked with many disordered eating clients over the years, as you can imagine. It's, it's not my specialty, but a lot of times, like we were talking, it's like I didn't even know anybody had a history of disordered eating because either they're embarrassed to tell me it initially or, you know, it's just not something that women want to talk about a lot. And even if you're not like classified as an anorexic or a bulimic, like you're not purging after every meal, you still can have those thoughts. And I, I, I use laxatives in college as well. And mm -hmm. I had very disordered eating thought patterns and, um, I obsessed about food all day long, but do you feel like that that's something that you can fully recover from? Or do you feel like that's just always going to be part of you? Oh man, that's such a great question. <laughs> Oh, it's so complicated as well. Um, so along with other unhealthy coping mechanisms that I've had in my life, um, because I've turned to other things for comfort than just food, um, like binging, for example, or, or purging, but then when you feel depressed and guilty about it, um, you know, I've struggled with a history of self-harm in the past. And I actually believe disordered eating is a form of self-harm. Um, mm -hmm. 
And I struggled with that. Um, when I was a teenager, I was very depressed and struggled with that. Um, and, you know, even just emotional eating or online shopping or whatever ways to numb out. I think that we can expand beyond our ability where we are so dependent upon that, that that's our only resource. I don't think we should judge ourselves or shame ourselves for using that resource because it was the only thing we had available to us at the time to survive what we got through. Um, Even if it was maladaptive or had an element of self-harm to it, um, you did what you needed to do to get through. What I believe in is that we can always expand in our capacity to add to our toolkit. And so that's what I have now is I have so many more tools in my toolkit that when I feel at that point of desperation, where in the past I would have turned to food or I would have turned to self-harm or I would have turned to online shopping or whatever. Now I have other things that I can turn to, but I'm not going to lie. I still think about it sometimes. Like even if I'm like, you know, when I hit really dark, hard times in my life, there are times when I think like about self-harm. Um, that's really, really just open and vulnerable. I don't do it though. Um, I think to myself, no, I can't go back to that. I could never let myself down like that, but it still pops into my head. So to answer the question, will it always be a part of you? Maybe. Um, but it doesn't have to be something that controls you. It might just be a remnant that still pops up from time to time. And then you're so grateful that you don't need to do that anymore. Like you used to need to do it. So yeah, I yeah, love that. Answer that's kind of my I thought think, about it. Yeah. I love that answer. I think that there's different thoughts on it. And I've heard some professionals say, oh, once you have a disordered eating, you never recover from that. And others are like, absolutely, you can. And I believe there's a spectrum, you know, it's like, if you're, if you're, if you're finding the underlying issue, like say it's hormonal, or um, some kind of neurotransmitter that you are lacking, that once you fix your diet or, or you eat differently, you're now producing that hormone effectively. And, or you're, you are, you know, you have enough neurotransmitters to, to, um, to make serotonin or whatever it is, or you balance the gut and you're and your guts no longer saying, I need sugar, I need sugar, I need sugar. But it just depends at where the interference is, I believe, and whether or not you can pinpoint the interference, remove it, treat it, whatever it is. But it's like if you back, there's always going to be some backslide, right? It's like, yeah. well, if you if you start to res- revert to past behaviors. Or if something else, not even that particular behavior, but something traumatic or something stressful that triggers whatever the interference was, then yeah, absolutely. I think you can backslide too. But I do believe it's like a spectrum for everybody. And I don't think it's like people, especially in the medical field, want to like black or white. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like We don't want this gray area. We want, yes, this is going to happen. No, this is going to happen. This medication is going to do this for you. This medication is going to do that for you. It's like, we don't, we don't, we just want to umbrella term everybody and not have that gray area. So I love that answer. And I, and I totally agree with you. Um, so where can we find you if clients want to work with you? Um, we'll also put all of this in the show notes as well. Yeah, thank you. And just before I answer that last question there, I think that um, if the language of addiction um, is empowering to you, then use it. Like some people um, feel empowered in the sense that it gives them a sense of explanation to just say like, I am an addict and I'm in recovery, but I'll always be an addict. And for some people, that's actually very empowering to them. 
And so if it works for you, great. For some people, it's very disempowering to think of themselves as an addict. So a sugar addict or an alcoholic or a drug addict or whatever, like they might no longer identify with that anymore and feel like they're completely healed from that. And it's not even the type of language or wording that they want to use. So I would say, ask yourself, does that feel empowering to you or does that feel disempowering to you? Um, And kind of go from there. I actually have some clients who use the language of addiction and believe that they are truly sugar addicts and always will be and need to stay away from their quote unquote drug of choice for the rest of their lives in order to feel successful. Um, And so if that feels empowering to them, I go with that. I have other clients who hate that language, um, that they would never want to call themselves an addict to anything because that actually feels quite disempowering. So different strokes for different folks and healing is an interesting journey. And there's going to be some modalities that work for some people and some modalities that just don't work for other people. Um, so trust your intuition. Healing is, is an inside job. Um, so if people are interested in working with me, my website is theketofit.com. And I have all of my information on there about um, how you can coach together with me. Um, And also I'm on Instagram and Facebook. I'm at the Keto Fit. And I have a freebie, a Keto Kickstart PDF that anybody can grab there in the link in my bio. Or you can go to bit.ly slash Keto Kickstart PDF. And it's got 47 free keto recipes to get you started along with a shopping list. I've also got a really cool new... um, guide that I just launched today, actually, and it is a holiday guide. So it is how you can design a plan to actually um, create a holiday that you're going to enjoy, even if that means deviating from your regularly scheduled programming or sticking to low carb, but it's being um, conscious and uh, approaching the holidays from a mindset of self-care and no deprivation, no stress, no shame, all of the normal things that we normally deal with this time of year. So it's a 50-page uh, download, and it's got 26 awesome recipes that actually work for um, all year-round holidays, but you're going to enjoy them for the upcoming Thanksgiving and Christmas as well. It's also got some mindset exercises in there. So it's a it's a plan to, again, design a holiday that you're going to love from a place of um, self-care. It's also got a bonus emotional eating exercise, because I know that that can be a huge issue around this time of year. Um, and that's only $19, and that's over on my website theketofit.com slash holiday. Um, So people can check that out as well. Um, If coaching doesn't feel like you have the um, time availability or the financial availability right now, there's still different ways to work with me. Um, I also have a mindset journal that people can check out as well at theketofit.com slash journal. And it's got all of the mindset activities that I normally do with my clients, but it's all in like a self-coaching tool available to you as well. That sounds like some awesome resources. We'll link everything in the show notes so you can go and get all of Jess's resources and getting get on her mailing list so you don't miss anything from her. That is awesome. I thank you so much for this wonderful conversation today and the fact that you are changing people's lives and healing them from the inside. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Shana.